chapter 4 of The Italian by Anne Radcliffe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gary Day. The Italian by Anne Radcliffe. Chapter 4. Unfold the impenetrable mystery that sets your soul and you at endless discord. Mysterious Mother. When Vivaldi returned to Naples, he inquired for the Marchesa, of whom he wished to ask some questions concerning Schedoni, which, though he scarcely expected they would be explicitly answered, might yet lead to part of the truth he sought for. The Marchesa was in her closet, and Vivaldi found the confessor with her. This man crosses me like my evil genius, said he to himself as he entered, but I will know whether he deserves my suspicions before I leave the room. Scadoni was so deeply engaged in conversation that he did not immediately perceive Vivaldi, who stood for a moment examining his countenance and tracing subjects for curiosity in its deep lines. His eyes, while he spoke, were cast downward, and his features were fixed in an expression at once severe and crafty. The Marchesa was listening with deep attention, her head inclined towards him, as if to catch the lowest murmur of his voice, and her face picturing the anxiety and vexation of her mind. This was evidently a conference, not a confession. Vivaldi advancing, the monk raised his eyes. His countenance suffered no change as they met those of Vivaldi. He rose but did not take leave, and returned the slight and somewhat haughty salutation of Vivaldi with an inclination of the head that indicated a pride without pettishness and a firmness bordering on contempt. The Marchesa, on perceiving her son, was somewhat embarrassed, and her brow, before slightly contracted by vexation, now frowned with severity. Yet it was an involuntary emotion, for she endeavoured to chase the expression of it with a smile. Vivaldi liked the smile still less than the frown. Scadoni seated himself quietly, and began, with almost the ease of a man of the world, to converse on general topics. Vivaldi, however, was reserved and silent. He knew not how to begin a conversation which might lead to the knowledge he desired, and the Marchesa did not relieve him from the difficulty. His eye and his ear assisted him to conjecture at least, if not to obtain the information he wished and as he listened to the deep tones of Scadoni's voice, he became almost certain that they were not the accents of his unknown adviser, though he considered at the same moment that it was not difficult to disguise or to feign a voice. His stature seemed to decide the question more reasonably, for the figure of Scadoni appeared taller than that of the stranger, and though there was something of resemblance in their air, which Vivaldi had never observed before, he again considered that the habit of the same order, which each were, might easily occasion an artificial resemblance. Of the likeness as to countenance he could not judge, since the strangers had been so much shrouded by his cowl, that Vivaldi had never distinctly seen a single feature. Scadoni's hood was now thrown back, so that he could not compare even the air of their heads under similar circumstances. But as he remembered to have seen the confessor on a former day, approaching his mother's closet with the cowl shading his face, 
the same gloomy severity seemed to characterise both, and nearly the same terrible portrait was drawn on his fancy. Yet this again might be only an artificial effect, a character which the cowl alone gave to the head, and any face seen imperfectly beneath its dark shade might have appeared equally severe. Vivaldi was still extremely perplexed in his opinion. One circumstance, however, seemed to throw some light on his judgment. The stranger had appeared in the habit of a monk, and if Vivaldi's transient observation might be trusted, he was of the very same order with that of Scidoni. Yet if he were Scidoni, or even his agent, it was not probable that he would have shown himself in a dress that might lead to a discovery of his person. That he was anxious for concealment, his manner had strongly proved. It seemed then that this habit of a monk was only a disguise, assumed for the purpose of misleading conjecture. Vivaldi, however, determined to put some questions to Scidoni, and at the same time to observe their effect on his countenance. He took occasion to notice some drawings of ruins which ornamented the cabinet of the Marchesa, and to say that the fortress of Paluzzi was worthy of being added to her collection. "'You have seen it lately, perhaps, Reverend Father?' added Vivaldi, with a penetrating glance. "'It is a striking relic of antiquity,' replied the confessor. "'That arch,' resumed Vivaldi, his eye still fixed on Scadoni, "'that arch suspended between two rocks, the one overtopped by the towers of the fortress, the other shadowed with pine and broad oak, has a fine effect, but a picture of it would want human figures. Now either the grotesque shapes of banditti lurking within the ruin, as if ready to start out upon the traveller, or a friar rolled up in his black garments, just stealing forth from under the shade of the arch, and looking like some supernatural messenger of evil, would finish the piece. The features of Scidoni suffered no change during this speech. "'Your picture is complete,' said he, "'and I cannot but admire the facility with which you have classed the monks together with banditti.' "'Your pardon, Holy Father,' said Vivaldi. "'I did not draw a parallel between them.' "'Oh, no offence, Signor,' replied Scidoni with a smile, somewhat ghastly. During the latter part of this conversation, if conversation it may be called, the Marchesa had followed a servant who had brought her a letter out of the apartment, and as the confessor appeared to await her return, Vivaldi determined to press his inquiry. It appears, however, said he, that Paluzzi, if not haunted by robbers, is at least frequented by ecclesiastics, for I have seldom passed it without seeing one or other of the order, and that one has appeared so suddenly, and vanished so suddenly, that I have been almost compelled to believe he was literally a spiritual being. "'The convent of the Black Penitents is not far distant,' observed the confessor. "'Does the dress of this convent resemble that of your order, Reverend Father? For I observed that the monk I speak of was habited like yourself. Aye, and he was about your stature, and very much resembled you.' "'That well may be, Signor,' replied the confessor calmly. There are many brethren who, no doubt, resemble each other, but the brothers of the black penitents are clothed in sackcloth, and the death's head on the garment, 
the peculiar symbol of this order, would not have escaped your observation. It could not, therefore, be a member of their society whom you have seen. I am not inclined to think that it was, said Rivaldi, but be it who it may, I hope soon to be better acquainted with him, and to tell him truths so strong that he shall not be permitted even to affect the misunderstanding of them. You will do right if you have cause of complaint against him, observed Scedoni. And only if I have cause of complaint, Holy Father? Are strong truths only to be told when there is a direct cause of complaint? Is it only when we are injured that we are to be sincere? He believed he had now detected Scedoni, who seemed to have betrayed a consciousness that Vivaldi had reason for complaint against the stranger. You will observe, Reverend Father, that I have not said that I am injured, he added. If you know that I am, this must be by other means than by my words. I have not even expressed resentment. Except by your voice and eye, Signor, replied Scadoni dryly. When a man is vehement and disordered, we usually are inclined to suppose he feels resentment, and that he has cause of complaint, either real or imaginary. As I have not the honour of being acquainted with the subject you allude to, I cannot decide to which of the two your cause belongs. I have never been in doubt as to that, said Vivaldi haughtily, and if I had, you will pardon, Holy Father, but I should not have requested your decision. My injuries are, alas, too real, and I now think it is also too certain to whom I may attribute them. The secret adviser who steals into the bosom of a family only to poison its repose, the informer, the base asperser of innocence, stand revealed in one person before me. Vivaldi delivered these words with a tempered energy, at once dignified and pointed, which seemed to strike directly to the heart of Scidoni. But whether it was his conscience or his pride that took the alarm, did not certainly appear. Vivaldi believed the former. A dark malignity overspread the features of the monk, and at that moment Vivaldi thought he beheld a man whose passions might impel him to the perpetration of almost any crime, how hideous soever. He recoiled from him, as if he had suddenly seen a serpent in his path, and stood gazing on his face with an attention so wholly occupied as to be unconscious that he did so. Scadoni almost instantly recovered himself. His features relaxed from their first expression, and that portentous darkness passed away from his countenance. But with a look that was still stern and haughty, he said, Signor, however ignorant I may be of the subject of your discontent, I cannot misunderstand that your resentment is, to some extent or other, directed against myself as the cause of it. Yet I will not suppose, Signor, I say I will not suppose, raising his voice significantly, that you have dared to brand me with the ignominious titles you have just uttered, but I have applied them to the author of my injuries, interrupted Vivaldi. You, father, can best inform me whether they are applied to yourself. I have then nothing to complain of, said Scidoni adroitly, and with a sudden calmness that surprised Vivaldi. If you directed them against the author of your injuries, whatever they may be, I am satisfied. 
The cheerful complacency with which he spoke this renewed the doubts of Vivaldi, who thought it nearly impossible that a man conscious of guilt could assume, under the very charge of it, the tranquil and dignified air which the confessor now displayed. He began to accuse himself of having condemned him with passionate rashness, and gradually became shocked at the indecorum of his conduct towards a man of Scidoni's age and sacred profession. Those expressions of countenance which had so much alarmed him, he was now inclined to think the effect of a jealous and haughty honour, and he almost forgot the malignity which had mingled with Scidoni's pride in sorrow for the offence that had provoked it. Thus, not less precipitate in his pity than his anger, and credulous alike to the passion of the moment, he was now as eager to apologise for his error as he had been hasty in committing it. The frankness with which he apologised, and lamented the impropriety of his conduct, would have won an easy forgiveness from a generous heart. Scadoni listened with apparent complacency and secret contempt. He regarded Vivaldi as a rash boy who was swayed only by his passions, but while he suffered deep resentment for the evil in his character, he felt neither respect nor kindness for the good, for the sincerity, the love of justice, the generosity, which threw a brilliancy even on his foibles. Scadoni, indeed, saw only evil in human nature. Had the heart of Vivaldi been less generous, he would now have distrusted the satisfaction which the confessor assumed, and have discovered the contempt and malignity that lurked behind the smile, thus imperfectly masking his countenance. The confessor perceived his power, and the character of Vivaldi lay before him as a map. He saw, or fancied he saw, every line and feature of its plan, and the relative proportions of every energy and weakness of its nature. He believed also he could turn the very virtues of this young man against himself, and he exulted even while the smile of goodwill was yet upon his countenance, in anticipating the moment that should avenge him for the past outrage, and which, while Vivaldi was ingenuously lamenting it, he had apparently forgotten. Scadoni was thus ruminating evil against Vivaldi, and Vivaldi was considering how he might possibly make Scadoni atonement for the affront he had offered him, when the Marchesa returned to the apartment, and perceived in the honest countenance of Vivaldi some symptoms of the agitation which had passed over it. His complexion was flushed, and his brow slightly contracted. The face of Scidoni told nothing but complacency, except that now and then, when he looked at Vivaldi, it was with half-shut eyes that indicated treachery, or at least cunning trying to conceal exasperated pride. The Marchesa, with displeasure directed against her son, inquired the reason of his emotion, but he, stung with consciousness of his conduct towards the monk, could neither endure to explain it, or to remain in her presence. And saying that he would confide his honour to the discretion of the Holy Father, who would speak only too favourably of his fault, he abruptly left the room. When he had departed, Scidoni gave with seeming reluctance the explanation which the Marchesa required, but was cautious not to speak too favourably of Vivaldi's conduct, 
which, on the contrary, he represented as much more insulting than it really was, and while he aggravated the offensive part of it, he suppressed all mention of the candour and self-reproach which had followed the charge. Yet this he managed so artfully that he appeared to extenuate the Valdi's errors, to lament the hastiness of his temper, and to plead for a forgiveness from his irritated mother. He is very young, added the monk, when he perceived that he had sufficiently exasperated the Marchesa against her son. He is very young, and youth is warm in its passions and precipitate in its judgments. He was, besides, jealous, no doubt, of the friendship with which you are pleased to honour me, and it is natural that a son should be jealous of the attention of such a mother. You are too good, father, said the Marchesa, her resentment increasing towards Vivaldi in proportion, as Scidoni displayed his artificial candour and meekness. It is true, continued the confessor, that I perceive all the inconvenience to which my attachment, I should say my duty to your family, exposes me, but I willingly submit to these, while it is yet possible that my advice may be a means of preserving the honour of your house, unsullied, and of saving this inconsiderate young man from future misery and unavailing repentance. During the warmth of this sympathy and resentment, the Marchesa and Scidoni, mutually and sincerely, lost their remembrance of the unworthy motives by which each knew the other to be influenced, as well as that disgust which those who act together in the same bad end can seldom escape from feeling towards their associates. The Marchesa, while she commended the fidelity of Scidoni, forgot his views and her promises as to a rich benefice, while the confessor imputed her anxiety for the splendour of her son's condition to a real interest in his welfare, not a care of her own dignity. After mutual compliments had been exchanged, they proceeded to a long consultation concerning Vivaldi, and it was agreed that their efforts for what they termed his preservation should no longer be confined to remonstrances. End of chapter 4